You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, I've got a, a game for you. It's a segment we often do in the podcast. It's called This or That. Now, this quote, I want to know if it's about former <laughs> Blues list manager Stephen Silvani or if it's about you exiting the toilet at a pub. The quote is, he dropped a bomb on the joint. Which one is it? Uh, I, I believe that has something to do with, with Carlton. Uh, very fascinating story out of the Blues, uh, I guess, yesterday with Stephen Silvani and some weird stuff going on there. But I will say, I don't know if you caught this clip. It went pretty viral. Yes, uh, I, over, I know exactly what you're going to say. Over <laughs> the week or so. I, I can't exactly remember where it was in the US, but the, the bomb threat at a uh, supermarket or wherever it was. But no, it, it was just a guy announcing to the rest of the bathroom that he was about to do some serious damage in the cubicle he just entered. So uh, a pretty pretty humorous story there. Yeah, that was uh, that was the motivation for this uh, beginning to the show because uh, <laughs> the, the, the guy told everyone to clear out the bathroom because he was fixing to blow it up. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they uh, they didn't press charges on his uh, on his um, gastrointestinal issues. All right, let's talk uh, let's talk footy though because we've got some interesting stuff coming today. A, a guest popping up in the middle of the show as well. Let's cover off some news though. Um, lightning for the grand final, Kane. That that's a new one. Oh, they could delay the start, right? <laughs> which I tell you what, I, I don't know if that's going to go too well for me. I'm not planning on doing well. Actually, I'm planning on finishing work at about three o'clock on Saturday, and from that point on. A few beers and get ready for the for the granny. So if they delay it by an hour, I'm not sure how I'm going to go. I, I might not have the extra hour. Uh, it, it might be a little bit too much for me. I might get too fired up. You you, you think you're just going to be just inconsolable with that with anxiety? Uh, I, I mean, uh, potentially. Yeah, I, I can't rule anything out. Let's see how it goes. Maybe there's a risk. Maybe it's a perfect night like, like uh, last Saturday was up in Brisbane. But, yeah, the, the lightning obviously is a, is a danger problem, and that's that's a concern if that game does have to be delayed or worse, even yeah, postponed during the game. But, hey, they could always cut out the bullshit halftime entertainment that almost literally nobody wants to see. So they're looking to save time. They can, they, they can get it away that way. Um, but, yeah, just a, another weird thing to add on to this season, the first night grand final, the first grand final off outside the MCG, and maybe the first grand final to be impacted by lightning strikes but other news across the league Kyle Hardigan uh, is joining Brad Crouch and uh, Rory Atkins at this point in leaving Adelaide he is uh, heading off to Hawthorne do we care at all about this move of course Hawthorne's going to be without James Frawley and James Sicily uh, one retired and one injured for next season so Hardigan can just slot into one of those roles I'm guessing yeah, I think it makes sense. It makes sense for Hawthorne for sure. It probably makes sense for Hardigan as well. He only played 12 games this year. So he's going to be going to a spot where he's definitely going to play. I wouldn't say it's a signing or a move that is going to get Hawthorne fans too excited about next year. I don't think it's a major signing, but certainly one 
that makes a lot of sense. Ben Stratton, the other one that's retired as well for the Hawks. Oh, yeah, so it's a, a three biggish, well, big defenders out of that back line. And Hardigan's 194 centimeters, so he's not massively tall, but he's also yeah, you, someone you consider to be a, a key position size defender. So he'll just slide in there. And uh, he's only, well, he's going to turn 29 uh, next month. So he's not super old. He's got a couple of years in him. So decent pickup for a team that's back line has been um, yeah, really hit hard by by injuries and retirements. Um the bigger news, I guess, here with free agency, there's a report that was uh, yeah, coming, I think it was Sam Edmund originally that had the report and Tom Brown's jumped on, so that yeah reduces the validity of it. Talking about Josh Dunkley, the Essendon uh, team potentially being interested in Dunkley. Now, at this point, there's been no word of Dunkley's interest or the Bulldogs' willingness to let him go. It's all been like, well, Essendon wants to get him. Well, that's great, but I don't actually know whether that means there's anything uh, anything in that. Dunkley's season was impacted by an ankle injury through the early portions of the season and never got back to the level that he was the year before. But towards the end of the season, he was showing how important he was to that Bulldogs team, and I'd be pretty surprised if they, uh, if they let him go unless Dunkley kicked up a, a huge stink and was demanding to be traded. But I don't really think that's going to be the case yeah this one would shock me i don't think there's really going to be anything in it it wouldn't make sense for dunkley to leave he's only 23 years old and some of the numbers and i, I got some of these numbers last week when i was uh, working on uh the Dangerfield story i was wor- working on whether he should play forward or play in the midfield but this just gives you an indication of, of where dunkley stands so we looked at dual threats so dual to be qualified as a dual threat you had to have played at least 500 minutes in the midfield and 500 minutes as a forward over the last two seasons total. And then we split up the ranking points, the champion data ranking points, per 100 minutes in that position. So uh, Josh Dunkley ranked 21st among midfielders uh, with 120 rating points. But when you look at uh, Patrick Dangerfield, for instance, who ranks fifth, his, his ranking points are 125. So, you know, with midfielders and the amount of midfielders there are, uh, not a huge difference there. But we know he's a ball winner. He's a terrific midfielder. But uh, Dunkley up forward is where it gets really interesting. Ranking points 107.7 as a forward per 100 minutes for Dunkley. That ranks him third for forwards, which is kind of surprising. When I saw this table, it, it really stood out to me. For instance, Dustin Martin ranks 10th, Dangerfield ranks 9th, and uh, Christian Pachaka ranks 63rd. So just to give you a, a reference point for some of the other uh, players that, that rank as a, as a forward for ranking points per game, Dunkley, uh, underrated a positive impact when he moves forward. So, yeah, this guy, even if they wanted to organize a trade, I just have no idea what Essendon would be able to do. I wouldn't imagine he'd be going anywhere. Well, considering that he missed uh, five games this year, he finished sixth in total tackles inside 50. So that's why his ranking points are so high for a guy that gets the ball as much as he does. He didn't kick a huge amount of goals, but to be a player that had almost five score involvements per game, uh, and got you know, six most uh, total tackles inside 50 and fourth in tackles inside 50 per game, third in tackles per game across the entire league, while still generating a, a lot of uh, scoring opportunities as seen by those scoring involvements. He is a very, very highly rated player. And you can say you have interest in getting him, but he wants has to want to go there and then the Bulldogs would have to want to uh, get rid of him. And I really, really doubt that those two things are going to come to fruition for, uh, for Essendon. But... Before we get on to the Jeremy Cameron stuff, Ben Brown looks like he is having a, a medical with Melbourne. Of course, his season wasn't great, but hey, Jeremy Cameron's season wasn't great this year too, but he's going to get this huge contract and, and Ben Brown's just been treated like garbage. This is, is this a good pickup for Melbourne if it goes through? Eh, it's fine. It's fine. I, I've said that I think Ben Brown is certainly a candidate to have a bounce back season. 
You know, I, I just don't know about Melbourne. I mean, I thought that they had some success at times when they finally decided to go to the combination of Wiedemann and Jackson. Now, they might be uh, the the urgency for the for Melbourne uh, to really bounce back up into the top eight next year, potentially push for top four. That's what they'll have in their mind. That's where they were a couple of years ago. So maybe they think Ben Brown is going to help them do that uh, a little bit faster. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure whether I would have preferred if I was a Melbourne fan. We've spoken about the age demographic of the Demons. Actually, a pretty young list. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would probably be rolling with Wiedemann and Jackson. I'm not sure whether you play all three in the same team. Maybe that's the, the idea they have. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Look, it, obviously, he's got a fantastic record over the three seasons prior to this one. They've had some troubles with, you know, they're going to be losing Tom McDonald, it looks like. I still would like to see the, the Wiedemann and, and Jackson combination as well. But, you know, adding Brown, I don't, I don't think necessarily hurts as long as he's in that right no. role and can fit in around those other players. But, you know, it's a pretty strong one. And the other key forward, we're Jeremy Cameron. Um, GWS playing hardball. They've got restricted free agency rights on him. They... It's it's weird that no one ever matches restricted free agent bids. The second thing is that even if they did match it, it appears there's no chance that Cameron would stay in and play, which is is absolutely wild to me that you can match a contract with you know, Geelong offers him a contract, you match it, but then he still doesn't have to play for you. He can still leave and go into the draft. Like what, what kind of system is going on here? But that apparently is what GWS is looking at. Whether if Geelong doesn't come up with the correct uh, compensation. They would uh, perhaps force Jeremy Cameron to either play for the Giants next season or enter the draft where they would get uh, no compensation. I believe. I don't even think you get a compensate. You don't get a compo pick, which again is nonsense. If he uh, if he heads into the preseason draft, I believe. Yeah. So outside of the system, I I, I was just a little bit concerned there. I thought you were about to veer off into a into it's, a very it's dangerous coming. path. It's coming another I thought you were about tomorrow. to veer off into a very dangerous path there, but I I just think. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense for GWS to match this and then force him into the preseason draft. I mean, sure, they can send Geelong a big FU and someone else is would potentially pick up Cameron. I mean, that's what would ultimately happen. Potentially, a Collingwood or another team would, would slip in there. And really, any team that was in the preseason draft would take him. We know in the past uh, there's been this fear that, oh, well, teams won't actually take him because they know he doesn't want to play there. But that, that's that's the only thing GWS would really get out of this. They'd be saying, uh, oh, you know, F you Geelong. Uh, he's going to the preseason draft. But for me, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I, I absolutely understand why they would be playing hardball and saying, you know, give us Brandon Parfit. The Cats would come out and said, well, you're not getting Parfit. Parfit doesn't want to leave. His manager said he's not leaving Geelong. You can argue about the system. But t- to me, I mean, it's, it still makes sense for GWS to to renegotiate something with Geelong and make something happen here and, and get as much as they can out of it. It's just like GWS is saying, well, if you if we can't have him, nobody can, so yeah. to speak. Or somebody will have him, but yeah. it's like in the end, we'll take that loss if it means that you're getting the loss because you're you know not coming to the table. It's really just a bargaining chip, and I think there's almost zero chance that they go down this route. Um, the fact that this route is even a possibility is ludicrous, but there is that, that uh, I guess, threat there for Geelong. But in the end, Geelong, if they don't get Jeremy Cameron, they don't lose anything. They right, exactly. they lose the potential of adding him, but they don't actually get a net loss on their team. So they they go, well, cool. we're in the same position we were a week ago before he decided that he wanted to join the team. So they don't lose anything from that. GWS is the, the ends up being the bigger loser in terms of what they're what they're not getting back and the player they're losing and just out of spite. So it is a negotiating tactic, but realistically, who actually thinks? GWS is going to do that. This is going to say, well, uh, instead of one first round pick, we'll get zero 
Like, exactly. What, <laughs> and if they do, like, then they deserve to lose as many players as possible and be a shit club for the next 20 years because that is just absolutely horrible asset management. And um, again, it's, it's just a threat that literally nobody should believe at this stage. Absolutely. I don't think uh, that's a realistic path that will go down, but I'm sure we'll see this uh, go back and forth uh, endlessly over the next two weeks. And uh, again, as we sort of mentioned yesterday, kind of an interesting situation that this is such a big talking point uh, during grand final week as well. The timing of it is uh, a little bit curious. Kane, speaking of the grand final, yesterday you were joined by Mark McGowan uh, yesterday afternoon, have a bit of a chat about the grand final. So we'll, uh, we'll cut to that now and uh, enjoy this uh, great conversation with Mark McGowan. Joining us now is one of the best footy writers in the business. I'm sure basically everyone that listens to Locked On AFL would have read his work over at afl.com.au over the past few seasons. Mark McGowan, uh, listen, we, we had to bring in a big gun. It's grand final weekend. Uh, there's plenty to talk about. How are you doing? Going really well. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's, uh, I've, I've listened to the show and it's, uh, it's really good. It's a little bit different to the, the mainstream stuff we hear and, uh, and that's what I love about uh, what you're doing. So... Grand final weekend. This is this is very very strange. Now I live in Geelong, and I actually commented to my friends on Saturday nights that this this is really strange. I mean, if Geelong were in the grand final and you've gone past, <laughs> Geelong is going absolutely nuts. It was dead quiet. There wasn't anyone anywhere. How was how was this grand final week for you? Um, you know, particularly over the last few years, being in there, being at training, being around the teams. What is going through your head? Oh, look, at, I mean, you, you just go back to what Damien Hardwick talked about in his post-match presser last week. I think it summed it up. The players were laughing about in the rooms right after the prelim. <laughs> uh, we might do a, a motorcade around the, you know, around the hotel we're staying at. Um, it's, it's ludicrous. I don't think any of us know how to treat this week. We're, we're still getting a public holiday on Friday, which is typically the grand final parade. And I think back in the, you know, a few months ago when, when it was confirmed that it would still go ahead, Dan Andrews came out and said, oh, I think the Victorians deserve that day off for all the hard work they've put in. You know what? At this stage, people probably want to work. <laughs> they're, they're sick of sitting around. But as far as the AFL is concerned, it's just not the same, is it, this week? It's, um, we've talked about COVID all year. I think we're starting to see some footy storylines kicking in. Um, you know, Gary Ablett's last match, we, we talk about that. Richmond, can they get that third flag in four years? Does that give them dynasty status? I love that we're talking about footy now. So at least we've got to that point. And that, that's what I'm really enjoying about um, having Richmond and Geelong in a grand final. Yeah, so I want to I want to split this up. We'll talk about both teams for a little bit here. But I think we'll start with Richmond. You said the fact that they are, if they win on the weekend, approaching dynasty status, I think that's fair. You win three in four years. I think you qualify. An interesting season for them. Clearly, it has been for everyone. But they, to me, and we saw this last year to an extent as well after a slow start, they are a team that seems to have that ability to say, okay, well, we're getting near finals now. It's time to flip the switch. What, how have you viewed their season uh, as it's progressed? I've got great admiration for this footy club. We go back four years, and in a lot of ways, they were a basket case. I mean, I mean, that might be a bit harsh with where they were at four years ago. I think they had 13th year before, but they had played a couple of final series under, under Dimmer. But the last four years... They've got this absolute system that they believe in, they trust in it, and it works. And we've seen them become a juggernaut. You look at the top-end guys, they've got some absolute stars at the top, obviously headlined by Dustin Martin, but they've got some great players, Dion Prestia, Dylan Grimes. It goes on and on. And they've got a role for everyone. And you look at this year, every excuse in the book they'd have 
so many distractions. We go back to before they left Victoria. They didn't want to go. Richmond was the most vocal in not wanting to go. They left a couple of players back. Basha Hooley, Shane Edwards, they had pregnant partners. Um, fair enough that they stayed back, but they were always against it. So you thought, oh, here we go. This is the distraction. They won't be up for it this year. They went over there. They had a couple of breaches as well, the Brooke Cochin affair. Um, then right, you know, not long ago now, we saw Sydney Stack and, and Callum Coleman-Jones getting in a fight outside a strip club. Um, Tom Lynch with his physicality, he's, he's constantly been questioned. Um, the locker room antics, um, you know, t- touching each other in, in certain spots. Um, there were so many talking points, not about football with Richmond this year, but they've just kept winning. So you've got one constant has been all the drama, but the other constant is nothing's really changed for them. They're still getting wins. They're still playing a great system. And for me, they've always been the team to beat. I would agree. And I think the personnel issues that you spoke to, whether it was uh, Edwards and Hooley that stayed back or it was injuries. And uh, for a story I'm working on this week, I watched the Geelong-Richmond game from really only about a month ago, I think it was now, and I think something that was lost within that game and how dominant the Tigers were was the fact Soldo went down with his knee injury. But not only that, halfway through the third quarter, Tom Lynch pinged a hamstring and he was out of the game. So there's just been these constant setbacks for the Tigers all year long. But when they get their full team back, and they're, they're going to be close to full strength. You know, obviously Soldo is a guy that probably would have played if he was healthy. But I don't know, and this is the thing that's so terrifying about Richmond, when you try and identify a way that a team plays... Richmond is terrifying because I don't actually really know how to even describe it or what it is. All season long, they've been beaten around the clearances. They, they don't really move the ball with any type of structure. It's just like, okay, we've got the ball now in the back half. Let's go. Let's move it forward. Let's get it in there. And I think that unpredictability is why they've been so difficult to beat, as well as basically they've got a team full of guys that seem to love playing on the big stage. Absolutely. This is still the number one forward half pressure team in the comp. They keep the ball in their forward half more than any other team. Ultimately, that's what every team wants. We want constantly talk about territory battle, all these sorts of things. Richmond keeps the ball in their half more often than everyone else, which keeps giving them an opportunity. You've got guys like Revolt, you've got guys like Lynch up forward. In a lot of ways, it's it's quite a simple process. If you've got keeping the ball down your end more often than the other team, you've got targets to kick to. You've got Dustin Martin up there as a wild card as well. You've got some really crafty small forwards. Um, a lot of it can work that way. You touched on the clearances. Well, this is what makes them even more frightening. We go back to that Port Adelaide prelim. The first half was same old. We're seeing the same old stuff. They're getting smashed around the clearances. Second half rolls around. It was something like 28-9. They won the clearances in the second half, something like that. Um, it, it's just remarkable that they're able to turn a weakness into a strength in a half a footy in such a big game against a minor premier. A Port Adelaide side that have been so good for so long. This is what I just respect about this club so much. They've not only got their system, they've got their things they can do right, but if they need to do something a little bit different, they've also got that capability. They're just a tough team to beat, especially, as you said, on that big stage. As far as the Cats go, we talk about Richmond and there is a level of expectation that they were going to be here. Uh, Even though they had their ups and downs, I think everyone still felt that they were going to hit top gear at some point. The Cats, for obvious reasons, that hasn't quite been the case. No one really knew what to expect from them coming into the finals. I think particularly coming into the season and the game, I think back to is their loss against Carlton. They were one and two at one point. They lost at GMHBA Stadium. You just don't see that. 
And this was a Cats team that you would have had every reason to think, maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year the Cats are going to drop off. But they went into the hub and really since then, they've been able to hit top gear. Another great club. 14 of the past 16 years, I think, they've played finals. And I know Chris Scott has gone out of his way to, to say what happened a decade ago is so irrelevant, it doesn't matter. Um, but you can't ignore that the same trends are here. They always find a way. They're just a club that can rebuild on the run. The news this week with Jeremy Cameron on his way, I mean, it's, it's frightening for the rest of the competition on what's going to happen next year. But again, what Chris Scott does so well, he believes in the way he wants to play footy. They're very different teams. Geelong likes to possess the ball. Um, very methodical in the way they move the ball forward. That's going to be fascinating to see how that works against, I guess, the helter-skelter way that Richmond likes to play. But again, they've got a guy in attack like a Tom Hawkins who's just been enormous this year. You go back to the probably the first five, six, seven rounds, not many key forwards were doing anything. Tom Hawkins bucked that trend early and has gone on with it, won his first Coleman medal. They've been able to create a lot of space for him in attack. And now they're introducing Patrick Dangerfield down there. You know, Dangerfield's not going in the middle too often now. He's playing mostly as a forward. So you've got him up there as well. Cam Guthrie's having a career-best season. Sam Minigola, Brandon Parfitt. It goes on and on. I've got a really solid defence. A, a lot of boxes ticked. And, and again, similar to Richmond, um, there's not a lot of weaknesses. So I did mention I watched the game from about a month ago uh, just recently here. And you, you said the word space when it comes to the Geelong forward line. I think it's been a feature for the Cats so I'm curious what you think. I mean, sometimes we talk about personnel coming back into a team. It was clearly a feature for Richmond last week against Port Adelaide. From this game early in the season, Richmond was still missing. Uh, Prestia was out of that team. Shane Edwards was out of that team. Uh, Asprey as well. Uh, for Geelong, they had Reece Stanley, Gary Ablett, Joel Salwood, Gary Rowan as well. So when you look at the forward line, clearly the function is going to be a little bit different. The big thing about that game, no space for the Cats. The intercept play of Richmond was completely suffocating even though the Cats actually had plus, I think they were plus 32 in disposals on that night. So they won the footy. They weren't able to do anything with it. Do you take anything out of that game from about a month ago? Look, again, I think and something that a lot of coaches have talked about this year, being such a unique set of circumstances, whether it's players out, players rested, coming off four-day breaks, um, being away from home, I think we can toss a lot of it out. There's always something you can get from a game, no doubt. But... You just reeled off a whole bunch of names. These sides are going to be completely different now. They're going to set up differently. They're going to be able to do different things. Prestia is so important to the way Richmond works. So important. And, I mean, it also releases Martin to be able to play longer stints in attack. Um, Reece Stanley is such an important player as well. I'm really interested to see how Geelong goes about getting space for Tom Hawkins this week. We've seen Nathan Broad come back in to the Tigers lineup. We've got such a tall but a versatile backline. Dylan Grimes, David Asprey, Noah Bolter, Broad coming in. They've got so many options, so many guys that can help clog up that space. And I think that's going to be really important for the way Geelong goes about it. If they're being really methodical, as they're, we expect they're going to be, nothing's going to change in that regard. But if they suddenly start struggling to, to find space for Hawkins, struggling to kick a score because they're getting squeezed so much by the Tigers' defence, I think that could become a, a really key moment um, in Saturday night's grand final. How much concern would you have if you were the Cats looking at the weather report? Because, again, you use the word methodical. And, and as we've spoke about the Cats all year, it's been about ball control. They are a high-possession team, a high-marking team, high-uncontested marking team. Mm. So if it's going to be wet. 
that is a particularly dangerous style of play to try and execute, not only in the grand final where you know the pressure is going to be ramped up to 100%, but against this Richmond team. I, they might have to, if it's a wet weather game, go completely against what, what they've done all season long. That, that has to be some level of concern. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can't ignore it. Um, you've also got to look at the fact that, that they are so skilled. Even in the wet, AFL footballers often can still hit targets and um, not have to go about things too differently. Geelong isn't going to toss out their game plan. It's just not going to happen. You, you don't do that in a grand final. It's, that'd be a recipe for disaster. At the same time, you have to adapt to conditions. There's no doubt if it becomes really wet on Saturday night, they can't be stuffing around with the footy. Um, they're going to have to, on occasion, get away from what they like to do and, and go a bit longer or take a few more risks. But because they love riding the boundary. There's no doubt the Cats love that. Riding the boundary, keeping it safe, playing really safe footy in that regard. They're going to have to do things a little bit differently if it's wet. But at the same time, I, I don't think anyone that's listening to this should expect them to, to do things completely differently. So before we wrap this up, before I let you go, I, I don't, we don't typically talk about tips too much on this podcast, but I, but I have to ask which way you're leaning. And then I also have to ask, is, there, is it possible that any other player outside of Dusty Martin could pick up the Norm Smith on Saturday night? <laughs> oh, mate, if you look at his record, it is, it is actually ridiculous. Um, and it's embarrassing for a lot of the other best players because uh, it's always you hear the, the line that uh, it's so hard to be consistently good in these big games. Well, for Dusty, it's not. When Richmond wins, he'll get his couple of goals, his 20 touches, and uh, I think naturally the judges warm to Dusty and want to give it to him, and they love the storyline. If he wins a third Coleman, third uh, Norm Smith medal, I should say, um, that just plants him as, as one of the greatest players of all time. But uh, look, I think a Richmond win, it'd be a shock if he doesn't um, get it because you know he's going to have to play a big role. Um, but we have seen other years where he's been perhaps fortunate, especially 2017, um, to get, get that honour. So... Who knows? Maybe a pressed year gets up and, and gets it done. But um, yeah, I think if Richmond wins, I think it's a pretty safe bet to go for Dusty. All right, mates. Well, uh, listen, you know, we, you're, you're a Bucks fan as well. So we, we, have, we have a connection already. But I said it from the top, you're one of the best basketball uh, football writers in the country. I appreciate your work, mate. I've always loved uh, reading your stuff and look forward to in the future. If you don't follow Mark on Twitter, first of all, that's a mistake. But you can follow him by Mark McGowan. That's Mark with a C, uh, by the way. Mark. Really appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks, Kane. Enjoy the chat. Great stuff there with Mark. Kane um, had some interesting thoughts on uh, on the grand final. The, the thing about him, him what I really took from that, one of the things I really took from that was talking about how Richmond just was so anti the whole hub setup to begin with. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I know there were, were reports around the time that they first went in there that uh, they were making all these crazy demands and they wanted this and they wanted that and, and they uh, they didn't seem too happy with the setup there. And then, of course, we know a couple of players didn't enter the hub for, for their own various reasons. So uh, there's no doubt there's been, uh, there's been some uh, hiccups along the way for the Tigers. But uh, I think, you know, overall, what I took from the, the chat with Mark and, and really what the whole footy world, I think, you know, feels towards not only Richmond but Geelong, just the... A lot of respect for these clubs, particularly, you know, Richmond over the last four or five years, Geelong over the last uh, probably 15. Uh, they're, they're just, they're, they're great clubs. And, and it doesn't surprise you that ultimately throughout the hiccups along the way, uh, throughout the road bumps that they've had to endure, it, it probably isn't a huge surprise that these are two of the clubs that have been able to navigate this season uh, better than some others. 
All right, Kane, um, we are, what day is it? It's Thursday. We'll be back tomorrow <laughs> with more, more talk on the AFL Grand Final. I lost my days completely. We'll be back tomorrow. More talk on the AFL Grand Final. Richmond Geelong, the big one, is just a couple of days away. Don't forget to join us by subscribing. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Kane, great work again. Yep, can't wait for tomorrow. Last show before the Grand Final, and I, I believe it might be show 100, Josh. It, uh, it will be show 100 tomorrow, so looking forward to that one, guys. Today on Show 99, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Greg Deer.